You have put me in my lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Well, good morning, everybody, again. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. We're going to be in Ezekiel 37, Matthew 21, and a whole bunch of other places this morning. So you want to get your fingers ready if you're going to follow along in your Bible or your outline. I was a camp counselor at a place called Camp Cedarwood back in the 1980s, which means that for an entire summer, I rocked a pink polo shirt with the collar popped. I wore short mint green short shorts for which I had to repent before Jesus later on in my life. I wore very large black Varney sunglasses, and I also had a mullet to this day that I'm still so unbelievably proud of. I spent the summer teaching archery, and, and one day, uh, Camp Cedarwood was an interesting place because it had kids that were brought in by the government uh, that had been rescued off the street, as well as some of the wealthiest kids in the province of Manitoba, and they were put together. It was an interesting dynamic. I came into my cabin one morning to find one of my kids with a knife at the throat of another one of my campers. And I de-escalated the situation, got the knife away from the one kid, and because you don't get to hold a knife to the throat of another camper, we had to call, uh, we had to call his parents. And I spent the entire day with a kid named Eldon. We waited all day long for his parents to make the really long drive out to camp and and I spent the day with this kid, and, and I remember as part of the day, I was actually sitting in a chair. Eldon was kind of sitting up against the wall on the floor by the door. And as part of our conversation, I made a quick movement with my hands, and Eldon went like this. He thought I was going to hit him. And his reaction rattled me. And as the hours went by, I began to hear what life was like in Eldon's house back home. And he shared with me how... He would beat his head against a wall until he was unconscious because being unconscious was a better alternative than staying awake in Eldon's house. When Eldon's dad got there, I remember watching Eldon crawl into the van. I will never forget the smell of alcohol. I will never forget the anger of his father. And I will never forget Eldon's last look at me as he crawled into the van because his eyes sent a very simple two-word message. Help me. Help me. I should have done something right then, but I didn't. Honestly, I didn't know what to do, but as I stood on that gravel driveway and watched that van's taillights disappear, that was the moment that I felt God's calling. I heard God's voice down in the bottom of my soul that said, you have got to do something about that. And I've spent... 30 years working out that same calling, that same message. I'm like a band with one song because this is all I've got. The only hope for Eldon, the only hope for the kids of Cedarwood, the only hope for the people of Whatcom County is Jesus. That's it. I felt helpless that day. It was a low moment, but I experienced in that moment what I've been sharing for the last couple of weeks, that life's lowest moments bring with them the opportunity. In fact, I think it's the greatest opportunity to see Jesus as the source of all hope. The greatest opportunity to see Jesus. So I don't believe we need to be afraid of low moments. In fact, I think sometimes we need to enter into them fully to see what God has for us in those moments. Being called into the ministry is not always easy or fun. 
When people come to me and say, I want to be a pastor, I say, then here's what you need to think about. There's a sweet weight to living out that calling. There are moments when it's unbelievably sweet, when you get to minister to somebody with a real need and bring the hope of Jesus into that situation. That's a sweet moment. But there's also a weighty calling that comes along with that, because sometimes God asks you to do crazy stuff. Just the bottom line. I'd like to introduce you to a prophet by the name of Ezekiel who experienced a sweet weight and God asked him to do some crazy stuff to carry a message of hope to the people of Israel 571 years before Jesus even showed up. I listed them in your program. I didn't call them the highlights of his life. In fact, I think he would call them the lowlights of his life. Let me break them down for you. So Ezekiel shows up, God puts a calling on his life and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you with a message of hope to my people. And I need you to get this message so big that I wrote it down on a scroll. And here's the scroll. And Ezekiel, here's what I need you to do. I need you to eat it. Eat the scroll. You don't believe me? Here's what the Bible says. Son of man, eat what's before you. Eat this scroll and then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me again, son of man, eat the scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. I can't make this stuff up. I mean, you need to read your Bible. This stuff is crazy. Ezekiel, I need you to get this inside of you so deeply. I need you to digest it. I need you to get nourishment from it. I need you to internalize it because this message needs to come from somewhere far deeper than just your mouth. It needs to come from your soul. So he tells him to eat the scroll. Secondly, he says, I need you to carry an unpopular and unwanted message to a hard-headed and rebellious people. Doesn't that sound like a fun job description to you? (laughs) Sign me up for that. That's what I want to do. God basically says, Ezekiel, here's the bottom line. They're not listening to me, and they're not going to listen to you either, but I still need you to go to them with the good news. Here's what the Bible says, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 8. But I'm going to make you as unyielding and as hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. It's just like, wow. Hey, here's the job description, and here's the bonus that goes along with it. They're so stubborn and rebellious, but it's okay. I'm going to make your head harder than a rock so you can headbutt the truth into them. But they're still not going to listen. Hey, wee, right? I want to do that. He's not even close to being done. Here's the next instruction. I want you to be a public object lesson. Zeke, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go to the center of the town, right in the middle. Modern equivalent of Bellis Fair Mall. And this is what I need you to do. I need you to set up a miniature Legoland version of Jerusalem. I want you to actually build a city so that everybody knows exactly what it looks like. That's what I'm looking for. And then I want you to build little ramparts, little ladders, and little tiny catapults out of twigs. And I want you to make a little army with sticks and stuff like that. And I want you to play fort and play war. I want you to wage war against this miniature Legoland version of Jerusalem. And I know you're already thinking, Ezekiel, how am I going to find the time to put all that stuff together? Don't worry about it because you're going to do this while you're laying on your left side in the middle of the mall for 390 days. Do the math. Longer than a year. And then when you're done 390 days, you're going to flip over and you're going to go on your right side for 40 more days because you're going to be a walking illustration. Actually, let me rephrase that. A laying illustration of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Not done yet. 
after all that's over, God comes to Ezekiel and says, I'm going to need you to shave yourself bald. Now, that's not a cool request in a Middle Eastern culture. Because for a man in the Middle Eastern culture, your beard is a sign of your masculinity and your calling. Back in that day, beards were cool in that culture. Before Duck Dynasty even showed up, these guys were doing beards, okay? And he says, not only do I want you to shave your beard, you can shave your beard, your head, and every other hair on your body. And then he says this, crazy stuff. I want you to take a third of the hair and build a pile, and I want you to destroy it by fire, which you know smells really bad, right? And then I want you to take a third of the hair, and I want you to destroy it by the sword, and then a third of the hair, I want you to take it, and I just want you to scatter it to the wind, because here's what's going to happen. A third of my people are going to be destroyed by the fire. A third of them are going to be destroyed by the sword. A third of them are going to be scattered to the wind. Scary stuff, right? And then this is what Ezekiel says. But I want you to take just one or two hairs, and I want you to tuck it way down deep inside of your cloak. Because I'm always going to preserve a little tiny remnant of faithful people who are not going to forsake my name or the message. He's not done yet. Comes to Ezekiel again. Here's what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to actually dig a hole through a wall. And then pull all your furniture out through it because that's what's going to happen to my people. They're not even going to have time when this war happens, to, to, to run out the backside or run out the front door. They're actually going to have to dig with their hands through a wall in order to be able to escape. And then there's one more piece, and it's heartbreaking. And I'll tell you what, it's lower than low. But God comes to this prophet, and this is what he says. You're going to have to watch your wife die. Now, before you judge God on that one, I want you to remember this Christians, remember what happened on Good Friday when God gave the apple of his eye to forgive your sin and save your soul. Here's the crazy thing about the story. Ezekiel does it all, all of it. Everything God asks him to do, he does. And some of you are thinking, if that's what it means to follow God, I'm out. And I can't say that I completely blame you because there is always a cost to obedience. So we're going to make this live and in real time, okay? Here's an application for all of us. This is everything that God asked Ezekiel to do. Could it be that all he's asked you to do is hand out some paper invitations to invite some people to Easter so they can experience the same kind of grace that you've experienced? Ezekiel inspires me. What if it, God's challenge to you is to believe that he'll actually go with you if you summon the courage to verbally invite people that God's already put in your life to Easter so they can hear this beautiful, simple, three-word message. He has risen. Ezekiel's low. And God's going to take him a little lower. Ezekiel chapter 37 is an unbelievably, it's a famous passage, but it's a, it's a misunderstood passage. If you grew up in, in school, maybe you went to middle school choir, or you went to elementary school choir, and they taught you an old song, right? Ezekiel connected them to dry bones, Ezekiel connected them to dry bones, the shin bones connected to the ankle bones. Some of you are like, what is that? Google it, okay? Check it out. But some of you remember that old song, right? Ezekiel connected them to dry bones. This is where it comes from. 
It's a low vision from a low spot. Let me unpack it for you. The Bible says this, the hand of the Lord was on me. So that's the sweet weight, right? And he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. That's a low place. And it was full of bones. That's a low picture. Nobody wants to deal with bones and death and skeletons, right? It's just not cool. God and Ezekiel actually go for a walk in this vision. Verse 2, he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, so they've been there a long time. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Let's just stop just for a second, okay? What's dead around you today? You got a dead dream that you've been struggling with for a really long time because you don't know what God wants to do with it? You got a dead relationship, and, and, and honestly, it's going to take a miracle of God to put the pieces back together again. You got some broken family members that are fractured and laying all over in different places, and you have no idea how God's going to be able to put the pieces back together again. You got some, some deep pain in the deepest part of your soul that, that's just scarring you and making you wonder whether or not God's there at all. And you got some low moments that have just kind of gone pile upon pile upon pile, and you don't know what to do with them. And God shows up and he asks you a question this morning Do you think these bones can live? Do you think there's any hope at all? that these bones can live. I mean, I'm so glad God didn't leave Ezekiel in that moment because the low moment continues and then it, can cha- it changes. It goes a completely different direction. This is what God says to Ezekiel. And I think there's so much here for us to learn. Here's what he says. Speak the word of God to the bones. You're going to talk to them. You're going to open your mouth and speak words of life into all these dead memories and dead relationships and places where you've just lost hope. Here's what it says. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. And I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. God says, this is crazy stuff, Ezekiel, but I need you to speak to them. And I can imagine his objections, right? But God, they're dead. They appear to have no life. There's no hope. There's no option. But I'm going to say this to you because it's true. Even in the face of death, God's word brings life. It brings life. And it doesn't come out of this low, broken man, but out of a God who makes a promise and says, it doesn't matter how low you go. If you humble yourself, I will lift you up. I'll lift you out of the valley. I'll lift you out of despair. I'll lift you out of the memories. I'll lift you out of the hopelessness. I will lift you. Sometimes you got to speak to the dead bones of your life, not because they need a pep talk, because the only way life comes into them is through the word of God. And some of you just needed to hear this next section, and then you can check out for the rest of it. Because I want to talk to the church for just a second. Can you tell? I'm just a little motivated this morning. Amen. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I've been hearing some bones rattling in Whatcom County for the last couple of months, and it's time for someone to start speaking life to them. So I want to talk to the Christians in the room so you know who you are as you walk into Holy Week. You are a royal priesthood. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are a new creation. Old stuff is gone. You are not who the devil says you are. You are who Jesus says you are. And when you declare God's word to the bones, you declare God's power to the bones. Listen what happens. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded. There he, this guy's just so obedient. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. There it is, right? Knee bones connected to the thigh bone. I don't know what else to sing from there. I should have paid attention in anatomy. Okay, all right? It's all connected together. They came together bone to bone, and I look, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So here's what it is, right? They've assembled themselves. They're all organized, but there's no life in it. Some of us, when, when we're faced with broken situations, what's the first thing we do? We try to organize it. We got to put it together. We need a flow chart. We need an org chart. That's the way that God wants us to take care of it, but it doesn't mean there's any life there. They're all organized, but that's not the miracle. You can make all the right connections in your life, but if you don't have a connection with Jesus, you're not living. You're not living. The Bible says, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Some of you are thinking, now we're talking, now we got an army. And everybody's lined up, and they're in regiments, and they're, and they're all ready to go. And God shows up and says, okay, you got an army. Do you have any idea who the soldiers are? Here's where it's going to get really, really interesting. Sometimes you need to know who the bones are. Because God's going to talk to Ezekiel. Here it comes. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. Can you hear the heartbreak in God's voice? These are my people, Ezekiel, and they're dead. And they don't even know it. And the only hope for them living again is if I breathe life into them. And it's not about them being organized or putting the pieces together. It's about whether or not they're open to me actually breathing life into everything that's dead inside of them. And then God gives this command to Ezekiel, which is interesting to me. Listen to the bones. And the Bible says this happens. They say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We're cut off. There's no life here. It's hopeless. And you would think, oh my goodness, it's all dead and dying stuff. And then God shows up and starts talking. Listen to this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, to the people of Israel, to the people of Whatcom County who are still carrying dead stuff around inside of your life, here's what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then my people will know that I am the Lord. I'm going to open up your graves and bring you out of them. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is what we need to know today. No matter how low you are, God can get there. He was willing to go to extreme great lengths to convince you. You think you're low? Try three days in a grave. That's low. And God says, this is what I want you to know. Out of that low moment, here's the beautiful thing. Some of us are so low, 
only God can get us out. And no man can claim any glory at all when it comes to that spiritual release. Okay, so I got to hurry up. Stick with me. Stick with me. Do you remember all this stuff? God asks Ezekiel all this crazy stuff. Then he takes him to this vision. Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. Now we're going to fast forward 600 years. Okay? We're going to fast forward 600 years, and we're going to go to Jerusalem, the little place that Ezekiel had to play fort with and construct the miniature version of. We're actually going to go to the actual city 600 years later. Let me catch you up. In the 600 years... All kinds of stuff happens, prophecy happens, 400 years of silence, and then Jesus comes, Jesus lives, he begins to teach about a better kingdom, Jesus heals people, he stirs the, the, the community, he tells his disciples, I got to go to Jerusalem, and he's on a mission to save mankind, but they don't understand, they actually think that he's going there to set up a military campaign, because they're going to conquer the Roman Empire, that's what they're going to do, and they're confused, and they don't understand, and Jesus makes his way to the city, and it causes a big uproar, and now I want you to think about something. What was the identity of the bones? Who were they? People of Israel, right? Listen to the bones talk 600 years later in Matthew 21. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees, palm fronds, that's why we call it Palm Sunday, and spread them on the road and the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna, God save us. God save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who's this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. And the people are thinking to themselves, the bones are coming together. The bones are coming together and they're being assembled into a military force and God's going to help us overthrow the Roman Empire and we're going to be free. And this is what they don't know. They don't understand. God was not interested in a military intervention. He was interested in a salvation intervention. Get the picture in your mind. It's a parade. And Jesus comes in, and everybody's just like, Hosanna to the son of David. And you go, that's a high moment. Parades are awesome. Not if you're Jesus and you know what's coming. I think Palm Sunday was a low moment for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus knew that Hosanna and crucify was going to bring about the same salvation. He knew that the people that were standing with their hands raised saying, God, save us, were going to exchange that cry for the word crucify him within six days. He knew it was going to hurt. He knew it was going to be painful. And before we judge them for their hypocrisy, let's take a look at our own. I can't confess your sin, but I can confess mine. There have been moments when I have stood here with my hands raised and worshipped God on Sunday and then murdered him with my sin all week long without a second thought. And I don't think I'm the only one. Unless, of course, of course, you're perfect. And if you think you're perfect, I'll slip in a little verse. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. 
Can I point out just a couple of parallels between the bones of the valley, the bones of Palm Sunday, and the bones of Christ the King Community Church? Let's start with this. Do you notice in all three, we still have the same question, don't we? Who can save us? Who can save us? You know what I've learned? I've learned in my short number of years here on this earth, at least I like to think it's short, makes me feel better. I've learned my best effort won't save me because my good's not good enough. As much as I'd love him to be able to do this, my financial planner can't save me. My political party can't save me. My relationships, broken and whole, they can't save me. You know what else I've learned? My good intentions can't save me as much as I would like them to. My love and hope and loyalty can't save me. Nothing outside of Jesus can save me. We're all asking the same question. Do you know what question the world is asking without even knowing it? Who can save us? I don't know if you know this church, but we know the answer to that question. (laughs) We know the answer to that question. It's the same cry, right? Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. And who can bring hope into the most hopeless of situations? Only Jesus. Because I don't know about you. I can't think of a more hopeless situation than a dead man in a tomb for three days. That seems pretty hopeless. And it's sealed under the direction of Roman guards so that nobody could steal the body And on the morning of Easter weekend, that Sunday morning, a dead body, dry bones, laying wrapped in linen, all of a sudden does this. (gasps) And he's suddenly invaded with the breath of life that breathes life into dry bones and hopeless moments and brings hope to people who've got the same question who can save us in the same cry? My hope is gone. And God keeps saying, I got the same answer for you. Only God can breathe life into dead bones. People have been asking me during the series, when are we going to get to Job, right? Can't preach a series on low without going to Job. Job hits this rock bottom moment. And these are his words. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life though he slays me, yet I will trust in him. You know, finally, it's the same hope, right? Mark chapter 10, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as you walk into Holy Week, you need to walk knowing that Jesus ransomed his own life so that we could be saved, so that life could be breathed into those who are spiritually dead, so that no matter what kind of death may surround you today, you can walk out of here knowing there's still hope, not because I'm living, but because Jesus lives. So here's the deal. Christ the King, to the Christians in the room, those who would dare call yourselves followers of Jesus, you have an opportunity on Friday night. I'm not going to try and guilt trip you or manipulate you. I'm just going to say this. The Savior who saved your life said, this do in remembrance of me. But I got to go to a movie. Time out. This do in remembrance of me. Come and worship. 
Come and remember. Come and grab a hold of the price that was paid for you and do it without a second thought, without an apology. Why? Because the God who set up Easter went through Good Friday first. I'll see you here at 6 or 7.30. No pressure, just saying. And then on Easter weekend, Saturday at 6, Sunday 8, 9, 30, and 11, 30, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get together as a group of crazy fools, Bible-thumping fools who have the audacity to believe that just because something's dead doesn't mean the story's over. And I'm going to stand up here like an idiot of which I do not care what you call me, and I'm going to preach a very simple message. He has risen. He has risen. And we're going to celebrate and laugh and cry because we're going to open a door to a group of people that don't even know they're going to be here yet and don't even know they're spiritually dead, and we're going to have the audacity to say the same God that breathed life into dry bones in Ezekiel's vision and breathed life back into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is still breathing life into the people of Whatcom County. My friends, I don't know about you, but I am so excited because I keep hearing the rattling of bones all over this county. And I think some dead stuff is going to come back to life again. Why? Because the resurrected king is resurrecting me and you. Can you tell I'm just a little fired up? I'll do my best not to scare anybody next weekend. So all through the series, we've been saying when you're low, and I don't know where you're at today, but we're supposed to go lower. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to leave. And the bones of Whatcom County are going to rattle as we walk out of here because we're going to invite people to have an encounter with a God who loves to play with death and introduce life when it appears like all hope is gone. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, may we have the courage of Ezekiel to do what it is that you have called us to do. God, would you burn on our heart the simple truth that the grace that's been given to us needs to be shared. So God, would you help us not to walk around the table in the center of the commons, but in an act of faith to go and grab small pieces of paper that could help help open the door to someone else's eternity. God, I pray for those who are low today, and I pray that they would surrender right now. God, whatever is in the bone pile, I pray that they would give you that that defeated dream, that broken relationship. And God, I pray that they would receive in exchange the beautiful promise that the God of heaven loves to breathe new life into things that are dead. God, I thank you that we can celebrate Easter when you breathe new life into your son. God, I pray in Jesus' name that the resurrected king would resurrect Whatcom County in Jesus' name.
And Lord, may we get a front row seat and be able to participate with you. So Lord, I pray for those that are hurting, for those that are low. I pray for those that are joyful and on the mountaintop. God, everywhere in between with the resurrected King, bring us together to remember on Good Friday and celebrate that he has risen all weekend long. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.